Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Hey, remember last week when it seemed like every movie that we talked about was just good? <laughs> well, welcome to this week. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry. Is that a spoiler? Uh, welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and we'll start out this week with a young elephant whose oversized ears enable him to fly, help save a struggling circus. But when the circus plans a new venture, Dumbo and his friends discover dark secrets beneath its shiny veneer. It's the reimagined Dumbo. Welcome, baby Dumbo. We're all family here. No matter how small. You have something very rare. You have wonder. You have mystique. You have magic. Come with me. Together, we can soar on my elephant's wings. The latest in a string now of live-action remakes Meh. that Disney's doing for their classics. Well, you know, Jungle Book, remember yeah, how I did. great I, that was? I loved Jungle Book. Oh. I really, really did. But one of the things I think that made that one better than expected was that it wasn't like a frame-by-frame -frame remake of the cartoon that we loved, right? There was a lot that was new and interesting about it. And Dumbo, on the one hand, has that as well. It's about 30 minutes longer. Well, that's the thing. I think in this, I'd take a frame-by-frame -frame remake because you're right. The original from 1941. I didn't yeah. realize it was that old. 1941 is barely an hour long. Right. So there you get into that problem that we've talked about before with movies such as uh, the Grinch movies. Sure. You have to add to get it up to 90-some-odd minutes for feature length. And, you know, what What does that add or in, take away from the overall film? Now, we've seen it done to, to great effect in Where the Wild Things Are. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really the high watermark, I think, for these types of things. But this one, I think, is another case of adding really just running time. You don't add any layers of, of connection uh, to the yeah, story, I, uh, and that's the problem with I this whole movie. Say, yeah, I think that the the additional time is the least of this movie's problems. <laughs> you know, and it's funny, I really thought at the time that Tim Burton was the ideal candidate to remake this, because, you know, it is. It's an outsider, it's an innocent outsider story, not that much different from Edward Scissorhands, to be honest with you, and I thought if anybody could sort of embrace that, you know, fringe element that would be like a sideshow circus kind of, an, kind of a, a vibe, that he's the ideal person to do it. But there is no heart in this movie. There's, There's no, no emotional connection at all. You know, and I like that comparison to Edward Scissorhands, but I think the critical difference here is at the heart of this movie is a, uh, a cry not for acceptance, but really for lease yeah. from the situation. Right. Uh, and that might be a, a little nuance that he just wasn't... It seemed to throw, throw him off kilter a little yeah. bit. Because in the end, this movie takes a strange path in that... The one thing I think that one of the things that we were most curious about this movie is how it kind of riffs on Disney. Yeah, uh, it's a Disney film, it and is. it's a 
a remake, a reimagining of a Disney classic, but yet it's... It, by, by a filmmaker who's made a great deal of money working with Disney over the years. But yeah, the Michael Keaton character shows up, and the first thing you think of is, I think he represents Walt Disney. But then... You, you go to his, quote, circus, and it's not a circus at all. The circus is a very small part of an overall theme park. That's where it got me. Oh, because yeah, there's no question. It's Disneyland. Theme, there's no question, because one of the attractions is is just straight out of the original uh, Space Mountain. Yep. Uh, I remember at the uh, Space Mountain when I was a kid, and you'd go, and after you got off the ride, you went through this little conveyor belt thing where you just kind of stood and it took you through this uh, home of the future. Yep. And one of the things in, in this dreamland, Michael Keaton's character's uh, park, is right out of that. Oh. So, yeah, it's, it, it's I don't know what they were saying by that. Was no, it... because 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 Michael Keaton is the villain. Yeah. Right. And and yeah. he and he says these things. Believe and you know and he's all he's very Walt Disney. Yeah. And was... he is the villain. He's a bad man. It and was... it's 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 the most to me interesting part of the film. It really was. <laughs> it made me just kind of scratch my head. What 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 are we doing here? Are we kind of asking for forgiveness for some unsavory things like say a song of the South, right. you know, in Disney's past or or riffing on consumerism or what it just well, it was weird to yeah, add I would to have this to say, film I, I don't think you can think of it as disney wagging a finger at disney i think you have to think of it as tim burton poking disney in the ribs yeah oh that's what i meant yeah, yeah. And so yeah, yeah. so you know and and it, it does seem to be the consumerism angle mm-hmm. i think that that they were going for because one of the things that you notice right off when dumbo is finally at the circus inside the dreamland park is that everybody is holding a Dumbo stuffed animal, you know? Uh, I mean, there are so many things uh, about it, but it's just, it is curious. I'm not opposed to it. And it's it's funny that it just came out this week because I just saw today that uh, the Disney parks are instituting some strict, some stricter rules about what you can, like there's going to be totally no smoking and they're putting stricter rules on the types of strollers you can, you can bring in because I think basically their problem is the crowds are too big. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that consumerism <laughs> doesn't show any signs of abating. I'll tell you that, but let's, let's get back to what we did like about this movie and the CGI Dumbo oh, very was cute. very expressive, yeah, especially yeah. in the eyes. Oh, yeah. Very expressive yeah. eyes. But but here's the thing. Another thing that I found curious is that, you know, so many parents that are going to take their kids are going to walk into the theater already having an emotional connection to the movie. They're going to be like you were. Yeah, you I were almost saying, didn't go. You were saying, I'm going to ugly cry. And I, I know there were a lot of people at our screening that just said that. Well, Here not only that, I mean, the, the film prepped you for it. The first trailer, which they quickly yeah. pulled, I'd like yeah. to pull, the f- first trailer, which we saw before we watched Mary Poppins Returns, was the first trailer for Dumbo, and it's it's almost, I mean, the majority of the trailer is Dumbo's mom being carted away, yeah. and I was wrecked, and I was wrecked <laughs> 10 minutes into the movie we'd come to see, and I thought right there, no way I'm putting myself right. through this movie. And you're not the only one. There's a lot of people no. that think that, but the funny thing is, it, those parents that come in, already having that connection to the movie, will find that throughout, as the movie goes on, that connection is only chipped away at. Yeah. It's diminished. And when you get to that part, you think you're going to ugly cry, it's cut off at the knees. And it's funny, it's not just that part, right? There's the song where she cradles him in her, in, mm-hmm. you know, in her trunk. There's there's this the moment where she's carted off. There's also that super scary pink elephant moment. Everything, yeah. everything yeah. that had any kind of real emotional heft, whether it's sadness or joy or love or, or fear... 
completely stripped away from this yeah. movie. Yeah, it's, it's it. There's no heart yeah. in this movie, and certainly no magic. No. Uh, what we did, another thing we did like Danny DeVito. Uh, he was yeah, I'll just give him that. he was a treat in his character playing a Max Medici, the uh, circus owner. And then his scenes with uh, Michael Keaton, of course, you get a little Tim Burton, Batman, Penguin reunion there. And that's, you know, that's some, some a hoot for nostalgic purposes. Sure. But Michael Keaton's character being the villain, he chews some scenery a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the rest of the cast, I'm telling you. Flat. It, it, yeah, Colin Farrell, Eva Green. Yep. And uh, some uh, so a couple of kids that, you know, I'm sure they're great people, but they're not very good. No. And even Colin Farrell and Eva Green just seem just detached by yeah. the whole thing. There's just, we keep going back to this main point, but it's just that there's nothing there. There's nothing, like you said, heart. There's no soul. There's no magic. There's nothing, no, no connection to the story. And it just, it renders the whole thing flat. Even the scenes, quote-unquote magic scenes, where Dumbo flies. Mm-hmm. I guess for a minute, and yeah. then it just like like the big uh, song scene, you know, "Baby Mine." It just it it starts off, and then there's nothing there's nothing there yeah, right. to uh, to anchor it in any feeling or any emotion or any reason to get invested in it. So I think parents will be disappointed, and I think a lot of kids are going to be bored. Bored, just especially gonna, little ones. Yeah, they're just going to be bored, uh, regardless of how cute Dumbo is. And you know, there's a nice theme, a nice moral, I guess, of the story about animals in captivity, yeah. but you know, does that mean that Disney parks are going to release all their animals that they have in captivity? I doubt that. Um, but the, 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 the finger-wagging of, um, at Disney is mm-hmm. still is still curious. Uh, very curious, because uh, you're right, the, the, the Vandeveld character, the Michael Keaton character, is certainly the villain, and the parks do not get off, get off good at all in this movie. So it's a bit of a, just a bit of a jumbled kind of mess yeah. that you're not quite sure where it's going and yeah. it really goes nowhere that you're going to be remembering uh, for any length at all. So we were really disappointed in Dumbo. Next, we have a true story of the Taj Hotel terrorist attack in Mumbai. Hotel staff risk their lives to keep everyone safe as people make unthinkable sacrifices to protect themselves and their families. It's Hotel Mumbai. Welcome to the Taj home to statesmen and celebrities for over a century. Wow. Switch off the lights. Under the tables. Terrorists have laid siege to the landmark Taj. With as many as a thousand guests and over 500 staff trapped inside. We should try to gather whoever we can. Many of you have families at home. There is no shame in leaving. I've been here 35 years. This is my home. This is the feature debut of director Anthony Maris, who also co-wrote. Impressive. Yeah, very. And and it's it's such a tense story and so well told. Yeah, this is from, ni- uh, no, I'm sorry, 19, 20, 2008. Yes. Correct? 2008 terrorist attack, horrible terrorist attack. In all, over 130 people were killed, and I think over 30 people at this hotel right, because right. it turned into a standoff. Four day, a four day siege by gunmen. And so the film follows, uh, you know, sort of the handful of, of members of the staff and of guests as they try to skirt these guys. And it's really, it's very harrowing, of course, but it's also really a beautiful story about uh, banding together and doing what's right. And, um, and, and Dev if- Patel, who we don't always love, 
Very, very good. Lately, lately he's been turning True. my head. True. Early on, I yeah. didn't love him, but lately he's been turning my head. And uh, the written review for this was done on our website, madwolf.com, by Brandon Thomas, right. one of our writers. And he, he does a very good job with it in and, and pointing out that this is the kind of setup that you're used to seeing someone like Dwayne Johnson right, right, come right. in and save the day. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's a, a nice structure to point out that these were everyday heroes. Yep. I mean, the staff of this hotel put themselves on the line because, you know, they had guests, yeah. obviously. They not only had to worry about themselves, but but these guests, and they had to uh, put their safety at the top of the list, along with trying to save their own selves. And, and of course, as we heard in the uh, death toll, not everyone was saved, but a lot more people were saved than might have been. Sure. And uh, it's also a movie that reminded me of Argo. Yeah. Uh, these types of true stories, uh, true reenactments. You know, again, not everything is as it was because, sure. after all, it's not a documentary. Mm-hmm. We've been down that road before. They're going to take license for a narrative uh, feature, and that's fine. But it reminded me of Argo in some ways, and the tension is really well set up by this by this uh, writer-director in his feature debut. So um, I think there's a lot to be impressed here with him and the overall execution of telling the story. I agree. And I also just want to throw uh, Army Hammer in there. It does a nice job. He is so interesting to me because, uh, you know, it's an ensemble film, really, and I find it so... Uh, you know, Army Hammer just pops up in movies unexpectedly here and there, you know, and, and he just always does a very solid job. He does. Um, he's one of those MVPs as as a supporting player. Yeah. Um, he hasn't had a whole lot of luck as, as a lead. No. But I don't think that is an indication Which is weird of because he, he looks like a living Ken doll. <laughs> if anybody looks like a matinee idol on this planet, it's Army <laughs> Hammer. Yeah. Uh, but he just, I don't know that it's that, it's not like he lacks the charisma. I just feel like he's a character actor. He's... He's wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. No. Nothing wrong with that. But it works on a lot of different levels. It works as a real tense, you know, white-knuckle type thriller. Yeah, does. And then also a, a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Even though there is some some tragedy and some sadness it's in the story. It's rated R. So. It is rated R. Mm-hmm. So know that. But it's just, it's really, there are gut punches. There mm-hmm. are emotional gut punches for sure. But uh, I just kept coming back to... Argo, because it was another one of those movies in a, in a string of movies that let everybody know how good of a director Ben Affleck was, right. you know. Uh, and this one is set up similarly, and lets I think people know that this guy could be a, yeah. a filmmaker to watch yes. in the future. Agreed. And also, I think what's nice is that even though there are some sequences that you know look a little slick, a little Hollywood, you never get the sense that that is the the end game here. It still does is a good salute to these everyday heroes and and what they had to go through. Mm -hmm. So uh, impressed with Hotel Mumbai. Hey, let's go to the beach next for a rebellious stoner named Moondog living life by his own rules. Is that a white Russian? No, it's not. This time (laughs) it's an umbrella drink and a PBR. It's the beach bum. Is that the motherfucking Moondog? Moondog. Moondog. Now you look like shit. I look like I always look. You have pissed away your talent on women and booze and... Now you're talking. It all stops now. The foolishness. And if you mess this up, it's jail time. Uh... Wish me luck. I'm off to write the next great American novel. Well, people ask us a lot, 
if we disagree on movies, and we don't very often. We now, don't. We disagree on this one by by degrees. Mm-hmm. You just outright hated it. I hated it. I did not hate it. Yeah. I, I I grew tired of it, mm-hmm. but I did have some some laughs with it. It's it's strange. It's it's a writer director Harmony Korine, and if you don't know. He kind of went mainstream as much as he can a few years ago with Spring Breakers, which was driven by uh, James Franco's yep. performance. And after a career that was defined by just WTF movies like <laughs> Gummo and Trash Humpers, you know, he was just this cult auteur. What is his deal? And then all of a sudden he does his Spring Breakers, which actually made a coherent social commentary. Well, one of the things I think Spring Breakers did that he he hadn't really embraced before was a traditional a traditional story arc. That's true. Um, and a traditional character arc. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he was still following, as he always does. His focal point is sort of these miscreants, right? Uh, not not just like a look at the people on the fringe. They're not just the people on the fringe. They're people you're never going to know. No one ever is going to know. They're super oddballs. And that's what, for me, has always made his films very interesting. But I think, here's the thing, part of the problem for me with The Beach Bum is that I am a Harmony Crane fan. So, I hated this movie. Yeah, you didn't like where he was going with this. Um, right away, it wasn't too long before I, I figured out, look, if, if Matthew McConaughey wasn't in this movie, there's no way it would have gotten the budget no. or the release. Because no. I was surprised when I found out what kind of wide release this movie yeah, we was ex- getting. We expected to find it in our indies around town. We did not realize it was going to be a national release. Yeah, uh, and a lot of people are just going to be scratching their heads. Because, I mean, if you felt like you wanted to party with McConaughey and Snoop Dogg and Jimmy Buffett for a while, hey, I'll be on with that, uh, but... You know, that's pretty much what this movie is. I mean, it's got a, a very slight narrative because he is uh, he plays Moondog, who's kind of this cult gonzo poet hanging out in Key West while his zillionaire wife, Minnie, played by Isla Fisher, is back at the mansion in Miami. And then she kind of cuts him off, and he doesn't have access to the family fortune unless he gets dried out, and finally writes his novel and gets his life in gear. And so then he's just off on these crazy adventures that bring in people like Zac Efron and Martin Lawrence and Bertie Higgins, the guy that sang Key Largo. I mean, this wild array of people and this increasingly wild array of shenanigans that really just don't add up to much except let's party. So that to me, that description is a much better movie than the one I sat through. <laughs> uh, because so, come on, Bernie Higgins, <laughs> Key Largo. One of the one of the the things that I actually thought was interesting, not well executed, but interesting about this movie is that it rejects the notion of character arc. It's telling you this guy was fine. Yes. The rest of you get the, get get yourselves together. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like a nostalgic throwback to the idea of the sort of drunken, debauched, you know, madman genius because he's he is a poet. And right. and when he when he's quoting other poems, it's like Rimbaud or Baudelaire. It's the same thing, these sort of libertines. But see the reason that the <laughs> the idea is like we don't appreciate these geniuses in their own time, but nobody looks back at those people, Baudelaire, and thinks, but he's a good dude. We should have let him behave that way, and he should have been allowed to be happy. No, he was a horrible man, mm-hmm. but he made great poetry, right? So part of the problem for me is how much the movie loves McConaughey's character. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's not that he's actually tr- an outright bad human being, but he's... Not a he's also he's a parasite. He's he's 
he's not a great human being. The people that he spends his time with um, uh, are, for the most part, loathsome. And, and like, it's also one of those movies where there's scene after scene after scene after scene of the male characters who have names who we're to envy their their luxurious lifestyle, sitting around together talking while female characters who have neither names nor shirts serve them drinks or rub oil on their backs or do uh, acrobatic handstands behind them. I truly thought to myself about 45 minutes into this movie, if this happens one more time, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I'm going to throw up because by that point in the movie, I wanted the yacht to explode and kill Moondog, Jimmy Buffett, and Snoop Dogg because they're the worst kind of human beings on Earth. It's a lot of boats and hoes. It is. And um, the thing is, what's funny about that is that if you watch Trash Humpers, they're bad people. Mm. That didn't keep me from rooting for them. They're interesting bad people. These are wildly uninteresting bad people. Yeah. Uh, and you just, again, you kind of wonder what the point was uh, besides having a good time. And I bet the cast, which also includes uh, Jonah Hill. We didn't mention Jonah Hill. Oh, that's right. Uh, I bet they had a blast. Because, you know, we, one of our favorite spots in the world is Key West. We go a lot. And it was a kick for us to see the yeah. the scenes they actually filmed in Key West. Right. Um, so that was fun. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of nice, you know, beach scenery and tropical things. But, uh, who I don't know if he's giving, a like, an ode to his substance abuse past. That is, that he... is an interesting part, uh, an interesting thing, that I, that I because it really is like a salute to the guy who stays true to his substance abuse and the way that it feeds his art, which is interesting from a, from a filmmaker who's a recovering addict. Yeah. But um, in the end, for me, even though I, I, I did like it more than you did, because it did, did give me a few laughs, but it, it really grew tiresome quickly. It, well, I, it, it's, like that, it's like that guy at the bar who's early on, he's funny, and by the end of the night, he's the only one laughing at his jokes, and why don't you just go away? I feel like we also need to point out that there are definitely one, maybe two or three sharp turns toward comedy that, that Harmony Crin just does not know how to. I mean, you're yeah. just like... What just happened? Exactly, especially the one like with zany, the one like, with Martin Lawrence. Yeah, you're like, like all of a sudden it's a zany comedy, yeah. and you're yeah. y- you're just left scratching your head. It, so yeah. comedy is not his bag. I'm so saying. definitely you would give it a big no, no, and I would give it a eh. There's some laughs, I guess. Uh, kind of a head scratcher for the beach bump. Got a couple more in limited release this week. Uh, first up, a pair of high frequency traders go up against their old boss in an effort to make millions in a fiber optic cable deal, The Hummingbird Project. Our purpose is to get the stock market quotes in like 16 milliseconds, which is one millisecond faster than everybody else right now. Okay. Then what happens? Roughly $500 million a year. You betrayed me. Now you have to pay. Why is she putting up cell towers? They're trying to screw us. I'm going to tear you down. Just think of it as David walking onto the floor of the stock exchange, taking out the biggest slingshot ever, and bringing Goliath down to his knees. We're David. Yeah, we're David. A disappointing follow-up from filmmaker Kim, Kim Ginn, yeah, uh, who can, did War Witch a couple of years. Lo- it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film the mm-hmm. year it came out. I absolutely loved it. War Witch, and I had high hopes for this one. It's also a great cast. Jesse Eisenberg, Alexander Skarsgård, Salma Hayek. 
But yeah, he, Alexander has a has a weirdly uh, shaved head. He's got a weird haircut. He, it took me a minute to go. Oh yeah, that is him. Well, I think partly it's because he and Jesse Eisenberg are related to each other, and they might <laughs> they might have had to tamp down the hotness on the one. <laughs> wow, you're you you came loaded. You're haterade today, but. Go ahead. No, you're right. A bit of a, a bit of a step down. Yeah, and the performances are good. Uh, Skarsgård is good. Salma Hayek, of course, is great, and she's playing against type. She's like their former boss, this soulless, you know. Yeah, and once she finds out their plan, she's like, oh, they're not going to get away with this. I'm going to one-up them. Exactly. But I think the problem with the movie, and Christy Robb wrote the review for us, and and this was her take on it as well. It tries too hard to do too many things and needed to focus on just one. You come away from the movie feeling like, well, that could have been a good movie, but it was just very surface level in about a thousand directions. Yeah, it wants to stir up more emotion than it's really able mm-hmm, to and mm-hmm. feels uh, feels pretty mediocre for an effort, especially coming off of War Witch a few years ago. So a bit of a bit of a letdown there. And we've also got a foreign film uh, this week. Hala, a woman in her 40s, declares war on the local aluminum industry to prevent it from disfiguring her country. It's called Woman at War. What a glorious movie this is. Sort of a fairy tale. It's Icelandic, and it's beautiful to look at. It's gorgeous to look at. And it's also really weird in that when you hear the sort of the strings swell, you can also, in the background, see the string quartet playing on screen. They yeah. just they're just There's a lot of detail. prop them up around in different areas where the score is just being played while the performance is going on. It's so odd. It's so surreal. Yeah, but it's put together with... It, it's it's smart. It's got some absurdity to it. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, salutes these heroes. I mean, there are pictures hanging on the main character's wall of different heroes from Gandhi to Nelson Mandela. And then you've got this hero who's who's all about the environment. Yeah. And the the lengths that she'll go to protect it. And that's that's the war that she's yes. waging. And uh, it's it's one of those that at times you think. If you put this on paper or describe to somebody, you might not think it would work as well as it does, but it does. The oh, way it really it's assembled. does. It really does. There's just there's a, a level of fun about it that you maybe wouldn't expect. And a lot of it has to do with the absurdity. And a lot of it has to do with just how gorgeous Iceland is. Yeah. And also, it's really it's fun to see. And we've seen this in the last few weeks. A middle-aged woman at the center of a film that isn't mired in yeah. some sort of, you know, internal drama. I mean, she's... Outside, she's, you know, slinging a bow and arrow. Mm -hmm. She's busy and doing stuff. And it's just, it's so, you don't even realize how revolutionary that is till you sit and watch it and think, yeah, why don't I see this more often? And even when it takes some twists that could border on the absurd, it never really undercuts the overall emotion of, 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 of the narrative of what's going on here. So big recommendation for a woman at war. Got a few to talk about on home video this week, so let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Well, first up is one that we just talked about, I think, last week, uh, Dragged Across Concrete, the new one from S. Craig Zoller, starring Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn. Liked it very much. It's uh, the same, if you know Zoller's movies, Bone Tomahawk and uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99. It's more the same. Long, slow burn to uh, a burst of violence. And uh, if that's what you're in for, and this is over two and a half hours, so if you're ready for that, it's very absorbing and engaging. Liked Dragged Across Concrete. A lot better than we liked second act. J-Lo. Ah, J-No. J-No, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of those, you just watch it and go, I bet this was a fresh idea in 1995. Why yeah. is anybody still making this movie? No, skip it. Yeah, it's it sank like a stone with good reason. Stan and Ollie was a small movie, didn't get a lot of attention. It's a, the Laurel and Hardy, obviously, uh, story starring John C. Riley as uh, Oliver Hardy and then Steve Coogan as Stan Laurel, and they're great, and it's, so a, good. it's a nice little, very quiet take on these two stars and even the effect of, of fame all the way back then. Yeah. Uh, we liked it. Yeah, very much. I was a little bit surprised by how gentle and sweet it yeah. is, but then the performances are great. Yeah, I recommend it. They really are. If Beale Street could talk, I thought this would have come out already. So uh, it's is out uh, on home video this week and big recommendation. It was up for all sorts of awards. Uh, not actually, enough, really. Actually, our local our local film critics group, the Columbus Film Critics Association, gave it its uh, best picture of the year, and it won uh, best supporting year. actress Oscar yeah. as well. Yeah, it's uh, the adaptation of um, the James Baldwin novel by uh, filmmaker Barry Jenkins. And if you know anything about James Baldwin's work, and it, Tough to adapt sure. this well, and the fact that he—I mean, it's—it's it's really it's a minor miracle because it's—it's it's so well adapted and tells a great story and great performances, and it looks great. Big recommendation there on DVD this week. Aquaman. Which just came out uh, VOD a couple of weeks ago, and probably if you wanted to see it, you've seen it, and yeah. if you have it, you ha- you're not going to. But there you go. It's better than we thought. Also, Capernaum comes out on DVD this week. This one won the Grand Jury Prize at Cannes last year, and it's from Nadine Lebecki, a uh, foreign film that just wowed everybody. Really gut punch of emotion here. Oh, it's such a brutally sad story about basically street urchins and uh, with non-actors in the parts, instead actual children and people who have lived on the streets, it's... Yeah, basically a child suing his parents yep. basically for, for having him. Exactly. Because his existence is so miserable. Yep. Um, and I know that sounds like a laugh riot, but it's the way it's handled. And this one is handled beautifully. And also out this week on DVD, I cannot believe it's taken this long to come out, but a movie, a quiet movie we really liked called Columbus is out. It's wonderful. Oh, I, you know, I loved everything about this movie. I loved the way it set you up thinking that you were looking at a romantic film, but you weren't. That John Cho is magnificent. It's just everything about it. I just love very lyrical and engaging. John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson, who we just talked about starring She's also amazing. She's very good. We just talked about her starring in uh, Five Feet Apart. Mm -hmm. And she's very good. It's it's an interesting story about the... the, uh, John Cho is a man whose architect father is in a coma, and he is stuck in Columbus, Indiana. And not Ohio, (laughs) where we are, but... And so then these two characters, uh, John Cho's character and and, um, Haley Lou's character, form form a bond and uh it's not, a weird friendship yeah and so it's not only nice with the characters but since it's based in architecture the way he framed the the writer director is goes by the name of koganada yeah 
And the way he frames everything so architecturally mm -hmm. in this movie is fascinating. And, uh, yeah, it didn't get a lot of eyeballs, I don't think. I don't know why it's taken this long no. to come out. But, but you should watch it. You really should. Really nice movie. Um, Columbus is out this week. Looking ahead to next week, we've got a few. I know we're both excited about the possibilities of Pet Cemetery, the new one. Not big fans of the original, but we'll see. Also, Shazam, DC's latest. It's getting some nice early yeah, buzz. It, yes, absolutely huh? it is. All right, so we'll see about that. Best of Enemies, Taraji P. and Sam Rockwell. Also, The Wind, a horror movie that we've already seen. We watched the other night. Yeah, a little horror western. Like it. horror western, nice. yeah. How's that? And also, Diane, a movie that was written and directed by a guy who used to be a film critic. Woohoo! <laughs> Mary so we'll, Kay plays star, so. Yeah, so we'll see uh, how well everybody does there. So, in the meantime, let us know what you thought about the movies uh, this week. Maybe you were not disappointed in Dumbo uh, or The Beach Bomb. Let us know. We love to keep the conversation going anytime. On Twitter, you can find us at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, we're at Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with our written reviews and our other horror centric podcast, Fright Club, you can find those at madwolf.com. We do appreciate you listening to the screening room. And if you do, please subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> your big line. So uh, get in touch if you can. Until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.